0: Could you please open your Bible to Luke chapter 2? This morning we're going to uh, consider Anna. And uh, the the title of the sermon is Lifelong Loyalty to the Lord. From the beginning of time up until uh, this very moment, mankind have been masters at making excuses. You Remember, right back in the Garden of Eden... It was the woman you gave me. Way to go, Adam. Throw your wife and throw God under the bus. But really, we're no different. You know, we all have a bachelor's degree in making excuses. Most of us have passed with highest honors. Okay, we're experts. And this is something that we learn very quickly. Children, very early on, begin perfecting the art of making excuses. And as Christians, our expertise is probably even greater because we tend to spiritualize our excuses, endeavoring to appease our own conscience and ensure nobody can challenge us. And we offer excuses in many spheres of life. But what we're going to focus on in this sermon is the excuses that we offer to not serve the Lord. You know, as Christians, you and I are to serve the Lord. You know, I hope I don't have to convince you of that, but a couple of verses just in case you're uncertain or or you're skeptical about my claim. Okay, we as Christians are to serve the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6 20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, since you and I have been saved, great was the price to purchase our salvation. We ought to use our bodies for God's glory. We belong to him. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, this verse follows that glorious statement, For by grace are ye saved through faith. It answers the question, what should we do once we are saved? Well, We are God's workmen and God's workwomen. We are to serve him. Then 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the Lord has given each of his children spiritual gifts and we are to use those gifts to serve and to minister. So understand, we are not saved by serving, but we are saved to serve. And when we do this, we're actually being like Jesus, because Jesus came to serve. And yet how often we don't serve the Lord like we ought to. How often within the church it is a small minority doing the majority of the work. How often we don't use our spiritual gifts we become spectators rather than being involved how often you and i we become focused on the little kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of god you know and often we have some very well thought out excuses to justify ourselves you know what are some excuses that you have used personally to not serve the lord or what are some excuses that you have heard from Someone else. Now, instead of using excuses that I've heard, uh, just in case they come from you, don't want to cause any embarrassment. Thought it'd be safer to do a Google search. So I did that, and here are some common excuses. Okay, here are some reasons why people say, "Well, you know, I'm not going to serve. It's the pastor's job. I'm not gifted. I've already done my time. You know, it's like it's a prison sentence or something." Let someone else have the blessing. That's probably my favorite because we try and spiritualize it and make ourselves look pious. You know, I'm so wonderful because I'm not going to serve and give someone else an opportunity. I'm too busy. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too tired. It's not my thing. COVID. Somebody else could do it better. Or I don't want to. At least that one's honest. Okay, and there are many, many more. We are gifted excuse makers. And this morning, I want to consider a lady who I regard as one of the heroes of the faith. And look at how she never made excuses. But she continued to serve the Lord even when making excuses would have been very easy. Now Luke chapter 2 verses 36 to 38 introduces to us Anna. Her name is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Hannah, which means grace. And she is the next witness included by Luke to vindicate the birth of Jesus Christ. And she was an incredible woman. The text stresses that she was devoted to the Lord wholeheartedly. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to be described? End of your life. How are people describing Brandon? Well, they say he was devoted to the Lord wholeheartedly. That would be a wonderful thing to be said about us. We're told in verse 36 that Anna was a prophetess. This is actually quite rare in Scripture. Traditionally, Jews counted seven in the Old Testament. And this says something about this lady that she was described in this rare way. But it leads to an obvious question. What was a prophetess? Well, she was not necessarily given revelation by God. Nor did she necessarily predict the future, but rather God used her to speak his words. The word prophetess designated a lady uniquely devoted to declaring the word of God. Anna may have been a teacher of the Old Testament to other women, or she may have simply had a private ministry in the temple offering words of encouragement and instruction. Now, what we do know, according to verse 37, is that she was always at the temple, it says she departed not. Now, perhaps this means that she lived in one of the small rooms at the temple. That's possible. But even if she didn't, whenever the temple was open, you could bet that Anna was there. We would say she never missed a meeting. She was known to be a lady of prayer. She would minister the word whenever she had the opportunity. She was incredibly faithful, she was incredibly devoted. Okay, and don't miss the obvious point about this lady. She didn't miss Jesus. Most of society did. But she didn't. Okay, she had been looking for redemption in Israel, verse 38. Okay, this lady, she was full of messianic hope like most Jews. She knew the scriptures. She knew the promises of the Old Testament. And she longed for Messiah. Her hopes. Her dreams were full of messianic expectation. She understood that salvation from sin depended on the coming of Messiah. But the thing with Anna is that she didn't miss Jesus. She didn't miss the Messiah like so many others, but rather she was one of the first key witnesses who knew and understood the significance of Jesus birth. And this says much about this hero of the faith. She devoted her whole life to her Lord. And towards the end of her life, she was blessed to see the one in whom she hoped. And Anna has much to teach you and I about lifelong loyalty to the Lord. Okay, there are four lessons for us to observe from her example about serving the Lord. And these will combat many of the excuses that we offer to justify our failure to serve. So the first lesson is the difficulties of life shouldn't stop us from serving the Lord. You know, Anna did not have an easy life. She endured great loss and heartache. She was a widow and had been a widow for a very long time. The text says that Anna was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow. Anna had been married for only seven years. As I thought about that, that hits close to home. Emma and I are about to celebrate our seventh wedding anniversary, 20th of February, next month. Men, you should know your wedding anniversary. I do. You should too. But as I thought about this, I thought, well, hopefully the same thing doesn't happen. That would be terrible. Because after Anna had been married for seven years, her husband passed away. And, And how devastating that must have been for her. And understand in that culture... This meant she was probably around about 20 or slightly older when she had to bury her husband. Now, I can't begin to imagine how heartbreaking it must be to lose one's spouse. And since Anna's husband was younger, it seems likely that it was either sickness, an accident, or foul play. So that would compound the sorrow. And Anna had lived a life of widowhood. And understand, this was an extremely difficult existence. It virtually guaranteed a life of extreme poverty. And this is why the Apostle Paul urges the church to take care of widows. Now understand, this is still binding on the church. James tells us that pure or genuine religion, what does it do? It cares for the fatherless and the widows. But there were particularly great needs for widows in the early church. And hence the church had a responsibility to care for them, especially if they had no family to support them. So for Anna, being a widow, especially at such a young age, was an immense trial. And this would have been compounded because it also seems that Anna had no children. And this was a tremendous burden, especially in a Jewish society, okay, the Jews viewed children as a visible representation of God's favor and viewed those who were unable to have children as being cursed by God. And that it must be because of some great sin in their life. Now, please understand that's false theology. That's not biblical. Infertility is a devastating result of sin in general, not necessarily individual sin. It is a consequence of the curse and it's a vivid reminder to us that everything is not okay and that we desperately need a savior. And yet due to the time that Anna lived, no doubt she was the victim of much stigma and of many unkind thoughts and words. And yet despite the difficulties, she continued to remain devoted to the Lord. She served faithfully, Her whole life, even though her life had been plagued with trials and trouble, she didn't walk away from the Lord just because things didn't go to plan. And we learn at least two things from this. Number one, being a Christian and even serving the Lord faithfully doesn't mean your life is going to be smooth sailing. Jesus doesn't promise us a life of ease And comfort. Understand that when you become a Christian, you don't become immune to trials and troubles. It's not as though you're given some kind of vaccine. That means your life will be really, really easy. But you know, here's the thing: Jesus lived this life. And he didn't live a life of ease and comfort. He endured great afflictions. And not just at the cross, that was the culmination. His whole life. Was riddled with difficulties, and our lives too will be difficult. Okay, the Bible doesn't promise health, wealth, and prosperity. That's a false gospel. You and I are not guaranteed that things will work out how we want. Serving God doesn't assure ease and comfort. Okay, we don't get a heavenly existence now because this is not heaven. That's the first thing we learn. Second thing, we're not to give up on God when we face difficulties. Okay, this is not an acceptable excuse. And yet so many Christians become bitter, become angry, and they stop serving the Lord because of the trials and troubles of life. And it's as though we think, you know, God, how dare you? Look at everything that I have done for you. And this is how you treat me. My friend, that's very foolish thinking because God owes us nothing and he's free to do as he pleases. That's his prerogative as God. So, my friend, the difficulties of life are not a justifiable excuse to stop living for the Lord, to stop serving him. Look at Anna. Great was her loss. Yet she remained devoted to her Lord. And even more so, looked to Jesus. Jesus served God the Father perfectly. And what was the result? It was the cross. And that is often the way. Life will be hard. But that's never an excuse to stop serving the Lord. And if this is the excuse that you're offering, then understanding God's side, it doesn't hold up. Yes, the trials and troubles of life are many, but that's not sufficient reason to quit on the Lord, because he never quit on you when things got hard for him. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, you don't need to be married to serve the Lord. Now, marriage is a wonderful gift from God. And as Christians, we tend to revere and to elevate marriage. Okay, and understand that we should treasure marriage, we should protect it from all of the attacks from our society. But on the other hand, there are some traps that we can very easily become ensnared in when it comes to marriage. Okay, we can very easily, although usually unintentionally, communicate a message that one who's not married is in some way inferior okay that they are lacking in some way that they are spiritually hindered because they don't have a spouse or they are ministerially hindered because they aren't married and people can think that they need to be married in order to serve the lord okay, i need to have a spouse so the lord can use me but but that's not true consider anna for most of her life she was not married and yet she was heavily involved in ministry she was a lady devoted to prayer devoted to sharing the scriptures and she served the lord faithfully and was used by him as a single lady and this is not an isolated occurrence in the bible nor in church history let me share just a couple think of jeremiah God instructed him to not get married. And he was a prophet. The Apostle Paul, he was not a married man when he was a Christian. And this actually enabled him to do what he did. In fact, marriage would have actually restricted his ministry capabilities. Imagine poor old Mrs. Paul sitting at home, worried, sick constantly. Where is he? What's happening? There's no FaceTime to keep in touch back then. And then some more modern examples. Amy Carmichael. Missionary to India, served the Lord for 50 years, become a mom to over a thousand girls, rescuing them from spiritual and moral harm. She was never married. Corrie Tambun served the Lord faithfully, helped so many Jews during the Holocaust. She never married. Lottie Moon was a single lady who was a teacher and missionary in China. And then we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He was incarnated as a single man jesus was never married so one does not need to be married in order to serve the lord okay it's not as though that the wedding ring qualifies you to go to the next level of christian service it's not as though without it you need to stay in the little league not at all okay those who are not married can and are used by the lord in mighty ways in fact Singleness allows you to be devoted more exclusively to the Lord's work. This is the Apostle Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 7. That this is actually a benefit of singleness. Now, we very rarely think of it positively. But it isn't a curse to bear, but it's a gift to steward. Singleness is not a curse to bear, it's a gift to steward. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 33 says this, but I would have you without carefulness, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Okay, so the one who's married, okay it, sorry, the one who's not married is able to be exclusively consumed with pleasing and serving the Lord, whereas The married one has a spouse and usually children, which demands effort and energy. So singleness in no way hinders our ability to serve the Lord. In fact, it often enables us to do more for the Lord. Now, three thoughts to apply at this point. Number one, singleness can't be used as an excuse to not serve the Lord You're not justified to think that, well, if I was married, I would serve the Lord. I'd do more for him if he gave me a spouse, because truth be told, you wouldn't. And you're actually using this as an excuse. And it's actually revealing in your heart that you're idolizing marriage. And this is what you're saying. Lord, give me a spouse and then I'll serve you. It's idolatry. And you're also trying to blackmail God. That's not cool. Singleness is not a legitimate excuse to not be devoted to the Lord and serving Him. Number two, singleness allows you to serve the Lord in unique ways. Now, I know this is going to be like swallowing gravel, but singleness is a blessing from God. Why? Well, it enables you to serve Him in a unique way that isn't possible when you're married. Because then you have other people. You have other issues that consume your time, effort, and energy. So use your singleness to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Point number three, the church needs to encourage and value singles. You know, as a church, we have a duty to treasure and value those who are unmarried and not make them feel inferior. Okay, in what ways can we make them feel inferior? Well, the first question we always ask is, are you married? When are you going to get married? Why aren't you married? And you're implying that there's something wrong with them. Okay, We don't need to do that. But rather we need to encourage and support them in their singleness and the unique opportunities that this grants them to serve the Lord. So being single is not a legitimate excuse to not serve the Lord. In fact, it allows you to serve the Lord and be devoted to him in even greater ways, just like Anna. That's the second lesson. The third lesson, you're never too old to serve the Lord. Anna never retired from living for the Lord. Okay, we're told in verse 36 that she was of a great age. Today, we would say she was really, really old. In verse 37, we're told she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. Okay, that's 84. Now, there's debate as to whether this means she was 84 years old or she had been a widow for 84 years. Okay, If that was the case, we would need to add seven years of marriage and then however old she was when she was married, which puts her around 105 to 110 years old. Now, however you want to interpret that phrase, it's obvious that she's not young. <clears throat> no offense to those in their 80s, or older but she was in the twilight of her life and yet she continued to pray she continued to fast which shows devotion and seriousness to her praying she continued to worship she continued to teach the word and what we learn is that one is never too old to serve the lord and i want to think about this in two different ways one is encouraging And the other is a rebuke. So I'll start with the rebuke. You don't get to retire from living for the Lord and serving him. I think this is a false perception that seems to have invaded the church, particularly in the West. It seems like it's socially acceptable. Once you reach a certain age, whether that's 40, 50, 60, I'm not sure, but you reach that age And then you're free to completely withdraw your involvement and become a passive spectator in the life of the church. But here's the thing. Getting older is not a valid excuse to stop serving the Lord. Now, I understand that you probably can't do what you once did. If you're in your 80s, you probably can't play dodgeball at Connect. You probably can't get on the roof and fix our roof leaks. I understand that. But it doesn't mean you do nothing okay that there are vital things that you can do okay you're not free to just sit back let the younger folk do everything and then the only time you speak up is to criticize okay age is not a valid reason to stop serving the lord how you do it that will change but you never retire from living for the lord or serving him whether you're 40 50 60 70 80 or older You're not just to give up on serving the Lord because you have reached a particular age. So that's the rebuke. Now for the encouragement. Please understand that you're never too old to play a key role in the church. Please understand that we need you. Okay, this is coming from me. I'm still a young man and I need you. I need you ministering to me. I need you speaking into my life. You have much to offer. You're not useless, even if that's the message society shares. Your wisdom, your experience, your life skills, they're invaluable. And our church needs you to be active. You know, my friend, shame on the church if we shut out our older members. Because they're gifts from God who have much to offer and the church will be weaker without older saints. We need to understand Christianity is not just a young man's religion. So we who are younger need to ensure that we don't exclude or diminish those who are older, but respect and treasure them. Because the older saints are a vital ingredient if a church is to be fruitful and healthy. So no matter your age, you're needed. You have a role to play. Like Anna, you're never too old to serve the Lord. Now perhaps you're thinking, well, what can I do? Well, here are some suggestions. I've just got three. I'm sure there are many more. Number one, pray, pray. Okay, this is something you can do no matter how old you are. Pray, pray, pray. Pray. God's work advances through the prayers of his people. So pray for the church. Pray for our ministries. Pray for the leaders. Pray for individuals, for marriages, for parents, for children. It's true we all need to be praying, just like Anna, but if you're older, you can certainly be devoted to the ministry of prayer. Number two, discipleship. We who are younger need older people helping us. We who are younger need older people helping us. Now I know we who are younger may not always acknowledge it, but here's a little secret. I work with the young people, it's my great privilege. Most of them talk to me. And I've heard numerous times, not once, not twice, but more, that the younger people are craving for senior saints to invest in them that they want older people to pour into their lives do you know that's why they organize the church suppers that's what they want the question is will you give it okay will you talk to the younger people will will you seek them out and help the young folk will you invest in them and you know this is not just my ideal okay what, what i want the church to look like This is what the Bible teaches. Titus chapter 2 and verse 4, we see that the older women are to teach the younger. Okay, all all those who are younger need spiritual parents and grandparents in the church. We need your wisdom. We, We need your experience being poured into our lives. Okay, I know that I need your help. I need your help to be a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better Christian. Okay, and this is integral for the church to flourish, we need to be investing in those that are younger than us. And then, number three, okay, this is quite broad use your spiritual gifts. Okay, this will vary from person to person. Okay, but your spiritual gifts are not like a carton of milk that has an expiry date. Okay, your gifts don't become obsolete just because you reach a certain age. Okay, you're still part of the body which means you have gifts and you need to use them. So whether you need an encouragement or a rebuke, I'm not sure, but you know your hearts. But understand age is never a legitimate excuse to not live for the Lord and serve him. And please understand our church needs the mature saints to be involved. Yes, there'll be some things you can no longer do, but it doesn't mean you just sit in the pew as a casual observer. Okay, we need you in the game, not in the grandstand. That's lesson 3. Lesson 4, the final lesson, gratitude is the proper motive to serve the Lord. You know, we can make many excuses to not serve the Lord, and often we make these excuses because our motive is all wrong. You know, it's vital that we understand the importance of motive. Okay, it's true. We need to be doing the right thing, but we also need to do it for the right reason or the right motive. God judges not only what we do, but why we do it. And if we have a proper motive, that will help combat a lot of our excuses. Now, some of the improper motives that we possess when it comes to serving the Lord's. Okay, Here are four guilt we're being guilted into doing something by someone else number two pleasing man we can serve because we want to please other people number three spiritual favor we think serving god will earn spiritual merit with him we think our salvation depends on our service or number four spiritual persona you know, we, we serve because we want to be viewed in a certain way by others. Okay, I need to do all of these things, so I look to be super spiritual. And I'm sure there are many others. Now, the answer okay, is to not just give up on serving because our motive is wrong. So, well, hey, Brandon, my motives are all wrong, so I'm not going to do anything. That's not the answer. Okay, the answer is to get The right motive. Question, what is the right motive? Well, notice verse 38. Okay, we see here that Anna was filled with thanksgiving. Okay, she was overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude had filled the reservoir of her heart and it came pouring out in her life. And what did she do? Well, she went and told everybody about Jesus. Okay, she's so filled with gratitude that she becomes a missionary. She had just seen Messiah, and this was too good news to keep to herself. She needed to tell everybody. But it was gratitude. It was thankfulness. It was love to the Lord that was the motive. And my friend, this is the proper motive for the Christian. We serve the Lord out of gratitude. Out of thankfulness for all that He has done. But not in the sense of paying off a debt, because we can never pay God back. But rather, you and I, we are so moved, we are so touched by what God has done for us. How can we not serve him? The, the, the sense is, okay, such is our grasp of the gospel that we have become so overcome by his mercy and grace that we have to serve him. We, we can't do anything else. As Paul put it, as I shared at the table, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, in light of all that God has done for us in the gospel, it's our reasonable service to serve him. So the proper motive for Christian service is love for the Lord and gratitude for all that he has done. And understand if this is our motive... It will combat a lot of the lousy excuses that we invent because we will think to ourselves, no, no, I I love the Lord and I am so full of gratitude for all that he has done that I must serve him. And all of our lousy excuses fade away. Correct motive is imperative. So here is Anna. A lady who lived for the Lord and served Him wholeheartedly. She continued to serve the Lord even when making excuses would have been very easy for her. Are you like Anna or are you making excuses? Are you serving the Lord? Are you giving Him your all? Are you using your spiritual gifts? Are you active in the church? Are you engaged in advancing god 's kingdom that there 's so much to be done for the Lord and yet often there are many who do so little now again, I want to stress that we don 't serve the Lord to be saved okay if you 're sitting here this morning and you 've never come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior the answer to that is not well, I must do more okay you don 't work. To earn salvation from sin. The only way to be forgiven. The only way to be made right with God. There's only one way. And that's by repenting of your sin. And placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his finished work on the cross. That's the only way you can be saved. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot give enough money. You you can't serve your way into heaven. We can't earn salvation in any way. You must embrace Jesus Christ as your saviour. Accept by faith the free gift of salvation. And I trust you have done that. But once you are saved, the right response motivated by love and gratitude is to serve your Savior. And there are many ways that you can do this. And nobody has a justifiable excuse to do nothing. And yet perhaps, can you know, can you know right now, That you're not serving the Lord like you ought to, and, and you have been offering excuses. Maybe they're even really good excuses. But it's time to stop making them. It's time to repent, and it's time to start serving the Lord. Because even just here, even just in our church, we need people to step up in our church. We need more people on the serving rosters. We need more men on the door. We need more helpers in creation. We need more bus drivers. We need more people praying. We need to be more evangelistic. We need to be delivering more tracts. We need more preachers and teachers. We need more practical help. We need more discipling relationships. We need more gospel lights in the workplace. We need to be sharing the gospel with our neighbors more. We need to be using our gifts and talents, and so on and so forth. There's much to be done for the Lord. Are you willing to put up your hand and say, Lord, here am I. No more excuses. I will serve you. I'll do whatever you would like me to do. It's the least I can do in light of all that you have done for me. Please help me by your grace to serve you, out of love and gratitude in whatever way you see fit. I want to present my life as a living sacrifice to you because that is my reasonable service. In light of everything that you have lavished upon me, how can I not serve you? All that I am and all that I have, I surrender to you. I am yours, Lord. Use me as you see fit. No more excuses. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we as your people would be so moved by the gospel, we would be so gripped by your love and all that you have done for us that we can't do anything else but serve you. Lord, please help us this day. Grant us the grace that we need to repent of our excuses. And help us to be living for you wholeheartedly, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.